0: Well, there was a farmer who was reading through the local paper, and he saw a new pickup truck being advertised at a great price, and he had an old junker, and he figured it was time to trade it in, so he goes down to the dealership and uh, looks at the trucks on the lot. He tells the salesman, I'll take this one here, and he pulls out his checkbook to, to write, write a check, and the salesman says, well, hold on, hold on, I haven't given you the price yet, and the farmer said, well, your, your price is right here in the paper. And the salesman smiles at him, he says, oh, well, that's for a basic truck. The extras are going to cost you more. And uh, he gets a much higher price. He's not happy about it, but he goes ahead and trades in his truck and drives the new one home. Well, a few months later, the salesman calls him and he says, "Uh, my son needs a a dairy cow for his uh, 4-H project, and I was wondering if you had any for sale. The farmer said, oh, I've got a lot of nice cows, about 500 each. Salesman says, great, I'll come by and get one, and walks onto the lot, he looks around, points at a cow and says, I I want this one here, and pulls out his check to uh, fill it out. And the farmer says, well, hold on, I haven't given you my price yet. Salesman says, "Uh, well, you told me, $500. And he said, well, that's just for a basic cow. (laughs) So then he hands him an invoice. It says two-tone leather upholstery, $150. Product storing equipment and spigots, $200. Dual horns, fly swatter, fertilizer attachment brought the price out to about (laughs) $1,000. Now whether it's a cow or a car or some other commitment we make in life, it's it's really important that we consider the total cost before we make that commitment, isn't it? As we turn in our Bible today to Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, what we're going to see is that there were three men mentioned who Christ called to make a commitment. And as it came to a point where they decided what the cost was, we see that they were not yet ready to follow Christ because there were some things in the world that were getting in the way of following Jesus. Luke 9:57 through 62 tells us, and as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, Permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, we're told that this is taking place as they were going along. You'll recall that before this we saw that Jesus had been with the disciples at the Mount of Transfiguration. Right before that he had called on the disciples to take up their cross and follow him. He's called them to go with him to Jerusalem where he's already told the disciples, I'm going there to die. Jesus knows that every step down that road to Jerusalem meant certain death for him. It was a commitment that he was willing to make. He, He knew that there was a A gruesome death waiting for him, but he was going there to give his own life for us. To die on a cross in Jerusalem to pay the penalty of death that we all owed for our sins. Jesus was willing to make that commitment to give to us the gift of eternal life. And as Jesus is going, he comes across three men that he calls on to join him. But we see that there are some problems. That get in the way of these guys following him. The first person that we find is in verse 57. He comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, at first glance, this seems like the perfect candidate, doesn't it? Here's a guy that says, I will do anything and go anywhere with you. But what we find is, as this guy makes this statement, he was a little bit too hasty. Because as he says that he will do this, we find that he actually has some things that get in the way of following him. Now, if you look at the parallel accounts in Matthew 8:19, we're told that this guy is a scribe. And as many of you know, scribes were one of the groups of religious leaders in, in the first century church. And in the synagogues, these were guys who were lawyers. They were those who knew the law well, the the Deuteronomic and the Mosaic law. They were those who knew uh, what God's Old Testament said. So here's a guy who who follows the Lord, who loves the Lord. He's a religious leader. Now as a lawyer, he not only had a place of prominence and prestige, but also uh, a good income in that day. And so as he comes to Christ and he's told uh, to follow him, he, he, he's thinking as he's hearing about the kingdom of God, well, there are some great things coming. And I, I get to be in on the ground floor. He knows what the Old Testament says about the kingdom of God. And he thinks as part of Jesus' inner circle. He's, he's going to have a, a place of notoriety and benefits that come. But before he can reserve his room in the Ritz-Carlton next to Jesus, uh, Christ says to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, instead of being told that there are luxury accommodations coming, he's told there's a possibility of being homeless. You won't even have the basics like a bed. And as he hears this, the man who said he would follow Jesus anywhere suddenly disappears. What he meant to say to Jesus is, I'll follow you to the beaches of Hawaii. I'm with you as we go to the ski slopes of Colorado. But when he's called to no guarantees of even having what he thinks are the basics. He says, I can't follow you. So he's a man who allows the comforts of this life to get in the way of following Jesus. How many of us here would say we're similar to this guy? How many of us would say that we're willing to follow God as long as we don't have to give up certain things? That we have uh, conditions like what we're willing to do, where we're willing to go, or what we're willing to give up? How willing would you say you are this morning to hand God a blank check for your life? One that you've already signed, and you're simply saying, God, you fill in whatever you want. Here's the blank check. I will follow you. Now, you'll recall that the the people that we've seen already in the book of Luke, in the gospel of Luke, are those who have given up many things to follow Christ. We've seen Jesus calling various disciples and what they've given up. I'll read you just kind of the summaries from Matthew's account because he brings many of them together. In Matthew 4:18 through 20, it says, While Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their nets into the sea. For they were fishers of men, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets, and they followed him. Now, the same thing happens in verses 21 through 22, where it says, And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. It happened a little while later again in Matthew 9, 9, where it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and he followed him. So we have Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these guys who are fishermen. They have a family business. Things are going well. And they walk away from everything to follow Christ. And then there's Matthew, the tax collector. He's a guy, as we've seen, tax collectors made a a great living in that day as they cheated others out of of what was fair. And he's a guy who literally walked away from his booth where there was money piled up. He walks away from uh, the bucks that the world offers him. In order to be a follower of Christ. When it comes to you following Jesus this morning. Are there any conditions? Do you say Jesus I'll follow you. As long as it doesn't affect my lifestyle. It could be that we say I'll serve you Lord. As long as I don't have to move too far from my family. God I'll go anywhere you want. As long as it's not a strange place where they call Dr. Pepper pop what if it's a place where they don't have Dr. Pepper or Bluebell or Whataburger and you guys are going I served in a place like that in Des Moines, Iowa and they called Dr. Pepper Pop it was hard but God was with me when it comes to following Christ God wants us to get rid of our boundaries to give him a, a blank check Martin Luther, the great reformer of the past, once said, A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, suffers nothing is worth nothing. What is most important to you? The comforts of this life? Or being a sold out follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ gave his life for us. As he was calling these men to be followers, it says he was traveling along the road. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was about to sacrifice to save us, and he went. Now, I know the fear for many is we think if we give God a blank check for our life, he's going to go, oh, good. I've been waiting for this moment to make your life miserable. We think God sits up in heaven at a computer with a big smite button. And as soon as we say, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want. He says, how can I make your life as miserable as it can be? Friends, that is not what the scriptures tell us. As you read through the Bible, what it tells us in Psalm 37, 4 is delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart as we give ourselves over to God, he says, I will fulfill your dreams. And if our dreams do not match God's will for our life, he will change our desires to come in line with his will. When, when I was still in seminary, my wife and I were praying about where we would serve God, what we would do. And we felt called to go to Russia, to be missionaries in Russia. And as we pursued those opportunities, we found door after door closing. And we couldn't understand why. We said, God, here am I, send me. We, we walked an aisle at a missions conference. We said, we will go overseas. We'll be missionaries. And, and God closed those doors. And what I couldn't see then... About 25 years ago is what I see now, is that over this past uh, quarter of a century, God has allowed me the privilege of pastoring three churches that have all been mission-minded churches, that have raised up over 100 missionaries that have gone out to the field over that time. And what God has allowed me to do is not be a missionary on the field myself overseas, but he's allowed me to be part of, of congregations that raise up people, support them, send them out. And he's given me the desires of my heart and my wife as well. My wife had the privilege of going over early in our ministry career to help start a, a women's training center in Moscow that has trained over a thousand women there to be involved in ministry. And as you know, Russia today has closed its doors once again to the open proclamation of the gospel. And here are our native Russians that are able to do what we as, as Americans going over there would not have been able to continue to do. And I get to go overseas just about every year and teach in different seminaries and raise up and train national pastors. I've been able to see God multiply our effectiveness in, in missions more than if we had gone ourselves. We didn't understand God's plan at the time, but we can look back and understand what God was doing. And, and these are the things that God will do in our lives when we say, God, uh, my, my hands are open. Do with me what you want. When we have our hands like this, when we're holding on to something, it's hard for God to put things in. But when we open our hands, he says, I can fill them with so much more than you ever thought possible. Another passage that shows God's goodness when we're willing to do what he wants, we'll come to later in our series in Luke 18, where it says in verses 29 through 30, Truly I say to you that there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Again, I've personally seen How God has answered this in my own life. When we moved from uh, where we were in Dallas, where my parents were and my wife's parents were, to go to uh, various places of ministry, including the Midwest, we have seen where God has raised up surrogate families all around us. My kids have had more grandparents in the churches where we've been than they would have if we had just stayed where we were. God has raised up families to come alongside and be surrogate grandparents to my kids. My life has been enriched with families and friends that that we count as family through all these years of ministry. Are you somebody who has open hands saying, God, your will, your change my desires to yours? Or are we like this saying, this is the plan, God? And God is saying, I have so much more I want to give to you. In verse 50, we come to the the second man who was called to follow Christ. And he said, Jesus said to another, follow me. But this man said, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, we understand that following Christ is a radical commitment. But this is a little extreme, isn't it? I mean, how cold and callous... We we think when we read this, Jesus, this guy says, "Let me go bury my dad." And Jesus says, "No, you let let the dead bury the dead." Now, what I want you to understand is, you have to remember the culture that we find ourselves in here. This is the first century uh, culture of Jews, and they didn't bury bodies like we do in our day, where there's often often an embalming and a waiting period and a memorial and a funeral days and days later. They would bury a person the same day they died. And so if this man's father had just passed away, then he would have either been preparing the body for burial or he would have been at the funeral itself. We've seen earlier in Luke where Jesus came across a funeral in Luke 7:11. Remember, he's traveling on the road. They're bringing the boy out uh, to bury him. And Jesus brought that boy back from the dead. And then a little while later in Luke 8.49, we saw where he went into the home where a little girl had just died and he brought her back from the dead. Jesus isn't telling this guy, leave your father's body here on the side of the road and let somebody else deal with it. The funeral that has to take place here is for this man. What Jesus says to him is, you need to die to yourself, you need to die to your love of the things in the world. Either you love your family more than you love me, or you love probably more likely the stuff that your father's going to give you one day than you love me. You see, when he says, Let my father, uh, let me bury my father first, what he's saying is, Hey, my dad's going to die someday, maybe sooner than later. And he says, When he dies, I will get my inheritance. And I want to hang around, and when my father's gone, and I get my inheritance, then I'm going to have a bank account that I can lean back on. You see, God, I'm not sure I can trust you to take care of me, but once I have a trust fund set up, I'll be taken care of, and then I can serve you, Lord. And so the funeral that has to take place here is for this man and his concerns about the things in the world. So we can label this guy as Mr. Too Hesitant. And the things that were keeping him from following Christ are the cares of this life. He was a guy that had things that were getting in the way of following Jesus, which is why Christ says, allow the dead to bury their own dead. He's saying, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. He says, you are called to go and preach the gospel, proclaim the message of salvation. He was more concerned with the things of the world than he was than getting the word of God out. Does that describe any of us here? It's easy, isn't it, to be drawn away to the cares of this world, to worry about the stuff in this world. As, as you're listening to this message this morning, are you saying, Lord, I'll follow you, but first? But first what? God, I'll go anywhere you want, but first, let me get through school, and then I can follow you. First, Lord, let me settle down and start a family, and and then I can follow you. Or maybe it's, Lord, let me get my kids raised and launched to college, and and then I can follow you. Or maybe once the kids graduate from school, uh, and I have more money and time, then, then I can follow you, Lord. Maybe some are saying, let me retire first, and then I'll have extra time to serve you, God. And what we'll find, friends, is sometimes somebody will be burying us before we ever get around to following the Lord. Sometimes the funeral that has to take place is for us. We have to become a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. The time is now where we put God first. And we don't worry about the cares of this world. If we trust God for all eternity, can we not trust him for the day-to-day needs of our life? Can we not believe that God will will meet the needs that we have? What is it that's keeping you from following God right now? Is it concerns over the comforts or the cares of this life? Or is it what we find mentioned next in verses 61 through 62? Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first... Permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow uh, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So this guy we can call uh, Mr. Homesick. This, this is a guy who, who was more concerned with the companions of this life. Here, here's a guy who, who says, let me, let me first say goodbye. Now, again, we may be thinking, this is radical. This is radical. You're telling me I can't even uh, go and kiss my mom and dad goodbye? I can't say goodbye to friends? I can't do something like that? That's not what's in view here. This isn't about saying goodbye. This, I, w- I want you to remember that this is the first century society. This is an agrarian society. When he says in verse 62, uh, you can't pl- plow a straight row while looking back, what, what Jesus would be saying today if we if he were writing this to us is he would say, you, you can't drive a car forward by looking in the rearview mirror. See, I told you that I sojourned up in the Midwest in Iowa, and I love my time there. Uh, I'm glad I'm not there with the blizzard they're having this morning. I've gotten texts from friends saying, look at what's happening. Uh, so I love, love being back here in South Texas, but... In Iowa, one of the things I love about being in different places in the country is is the cultures and Iowa's a, a farming ranching community as well as a, a hub of business. a lot of insurance and things are there. But we had farmers in our church and i would I, I went out to the farm one day with a guy who owned this this massive corn. Uh, operation, and if you've ever seen those combines, they're huge machines, and they, they go down these corn rows, and, and, and I got to ride on a combine one time during harvest season, so I'm up there in the cab with this farmer, and it's amazing how, how perfectly straight those rows are. When you're up above and you're seeing, you're watching the pheasants run down the rows, you're seeing the corn, and, and I'm looking at this, and I said to this guy, I said, how in the world do you have such perfectly straight rows? And he said, well, Roger, today we use GPS. I mean, (laughs) everything is programmed. They put it in and the thing plows the field for them. But he said, back in the day when my father and grandfather were farming, we had straight furrows like this as well. And he said, the way that would happen is they, they would look at, he says, see that tree way off in the distance or see that fence post up the row? He said, what you would do is you would start plowing and you would keep your eye uh, fixed on that, that object in the distance. And he said, as long as you were steering toward it, you would get a, a, a straight row and then you would make your other rows off that. And he said, but if ever you were looking around, he said, you would, you would get drawn off course and so you would, you would lose side of it and what Jesus is is giving us a picture of here is he says if you're always looking back if you're looking around not keeping your eyes fixed on him you're going to be drawn off course and it's not just an agrarian thing that they would have understand the words that he spoke in verse 62 about putting your hand to the plow and not looking back is something they would have known came from first kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings 19, you'll recall that there was a a great prophet by the name of Elijah. And when it came time, as God was preparing to take him home to heaven, he he said, you need to raise up your successor, a man by the name of Elisha. And, And we find the handoff happening in 1 Kings 19, 19 through 20. It says, so Elijah departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th, and Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah. And he said, please, let me kiss my father and my mother. Then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? You see, what happens is Elijah comes into the field. He says, you are the guy. You are the, the, the successor to be the prophet of God in this time. And he throws his mantle, probably some type of a robe, over his shoulders. And Elisha, who's plowing a a furrow with this team of oxen, stops. And he runs over to Elijah and he says, hey, let me go and say goodbye to my parents first. And, And Elijah says, I thought you were ready, but I was wrong. Go ahead. Just go back to your family. Now, again, it wasn't saying that he couldn't say, go, go and say goodbye to mom and dad. i am you know been called to this new thing. But what, what's happening is, what's going to happen when Elisha goes to mom and he says, Hey, mom, I'm, I'm headed, headed to the mission field. I'm leaving home. And she burst out into tears and says, you can't leave. What about when his father says, son, we're right in the middle of planting we, we can 't finish the job without you, and, and not only that soon the harvest is going to be coming in. We need you to do that and I'll go okay dad i 'll stay and finish this and then i i 'll do the harvest Well, right after that, you have to prep the ground and plant again the next season and and so he 's there for another season, another cycle and then the father says you know i I built all this for you, son, and I was going to hand the farm off and it's it 's a, it's a legacy and and you you know who 's going to take over if you 're not here and When when would be a good time for him to leave? And what God's saying is as you keep looking back, as you keep being drawn away instead of fully following me, as you're drawn away by the companions and the cares and the comforts of life, you'll never get around to following God. If you've ever seen the Australian coat of arms, it, it features two animals on it there's an emu and a kangaroo. Australia has a lot of amazing animals, but the reason they chose these two was because they share a unique characteristic, and it's that neither of these animals can go backwards. They can only go forward. See, an emu has a, a, a three-toed foot, and if it tries to go in reverse, it falls over. And a kangaroo, as you know, has this big tail, and it keeps it from going backwards. And they chose these animals to represent the country to say, we are, we are facing forward. We can only go forward, not backwards. This would be a good crest for the Christian. Many of you here have sung the song, I've decided to follow Jesus. And some of the lyrics of that song say, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. It says, though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me. Still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back. As Elisha sees the back of Elijah walking away saying, forget it, I thought you were ready, but you're not. Elisha realizes there can be no turning back. And so what first Kings nineteen twenty one tells us is he returned from following him, he took the pair of oxen, and he sacrificed them, and he boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, and he gave it to the people, and they ate, then he arose and followed Elijah, and he ministered to him. Unlike the guy who wanted to wait until his father died to get his inheritance, Elisha wipes out his inheritance. Oxen were very expensive animals. Plows, uh, these, these things were a once-in-a-lifetime thing. They were very expensive things. They were passed down through the generations. And what he does is he, he kills the oxen, and he burns the implements. He makes a sacrifice of his future. Now, I'm not telling you, friends, that you need to leave here today, go home, and burn your house to the ground. If that's what you're hearing, don't do that. But what I am saying is we, we need to be those men and women who are ready to be sold out disciples for Jesus. That we need to say if there's something in our world that is holding us back from following God, that, that that needs to become secondary. It needs to be removed from us. Now again, this is not a call to neglect your family. But as we're going to see when we get to Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, there it says our love for God should be so strong that our love for our family looks like hatred in comparison. Our our families are our first ministry. So I'm not telling you to neglect them. But what it's saying is our love for the Lord has to be primary. And we have to love him so much that our love for our family looks like hatred in comparison as we'll talk further about in Luke chapter 14. When we make a commitment to follow God, He gets first place. He gets priority in everything. Now, that means some of the things we're focused on now have to move aside, maybe moving completely out of our life. As you think about losing some of the things of this world, I want to remind you of something. At best, we have about 100 years here on earth. And if you think in terms of eternity, that is hundreds of hundreds upon thousands upon millions upon billions of hundreds for eternity. And if you're living your life for this tiny little blip, you're investing in the wrong things. God says that there is eternity and eternal life to come. And how we spend our life Here will determine the rewards and responsibilities we have in the millennial kingdom and beyond in heaven. When we think about what we can lose in comparison to what we gain by following God, there is no comparison. So stop letting the cares, the comforts, the companions of this world stand in the way of following God. There was an explorer by the name of Cortez. He landed at Veracruz, Mexico in 1519. And he came to, to conquer the land of Mexico. And when he landed, he, he came with supplies and troops, about 700 men. And as he unloaded the boats on the, the beaches of Veracruz, this, what was a, a large army at the time, but very small compared to the task ahead of him, Cortez knew that when things got tough, there would be a temptation for his troops to say, let's board the boats and go back home. And so after everything was put on on shore, uh, he gave the order to have the 11 ships burned. And the soldiers watched the boats burning and sinking in the harbor. And they knew at that point there was no going back. The only way was forward. And as we get ready to close today, I want you to think about the things that could be keeping you from following Jesus. Are there any boats you need to burn, so to speak? Do you need to make an offering of something in your life as Elisha did as he burned the implements and sacrificed the oxen? Are there comforts of this world that are more important than Christ? Are there cares of this life that are getting in the way of you fully following Jesus? Are there companions in this world that are stopping you from spending the time that you need to with the Lord? You know, some of you sitting here may say, Roger, the, the real thing that's keeping me from following fully this morning is my past. You're talking about no looking back, but how can I ignore my past? Roger, my, my life was a mess. If you knew my story, if you knew what I've done in the past, you know God doesn't want anything to do with me. He can't love somebody like me. He can't use somebody like me. Friends, that's a lie. That's a lie of our enemy, Satan. Satan. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our worst, when we were in rebellion, when we were enemies of God, far from him. It says Jesus came and he went to the cross and he spread his arms wide and he died for us. He gave his life to give us the gift of eternal life. Your past does not define your future. If you are a believer in Jesus, the scriptures say you are a new creation in Christ. The book of Corinthians tells us that God takes the the things of our past and he uses them to minister to others. He tells us to comfort one another with the comfort we've received. Your mistakes of the past, your brokenness can be things that help others find the bridge home to the Lord who loves you and them. And so don't let your past define you. And don't let the things of the present hold you back either. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer now. And I want you to just take some time to to think about your life and what may be standing in the way of following the Lord of life. Is it the comforts of the world? The cares of this life? The companions of this life? Is it your past life? Whatever it is, I want you to, as you talk to the Lord in prayer today, to lay those things on the altar, to give them to God, and to let him remove those things. So there's nothing to keep you from following him. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord God, as we think about our lives this morning, as we think about the things that that may be keeping us from fully following you, it may be, Father, that there is someone here this morning who has not yet ever started because they thought they were too unlovable, too far from you for your grace to reach and change them. And I pray this morning, Father, they would understand your great love for them, as you tell us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. I pray, Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl here today that's never accepted your gift of grace, that they they would see today, Lord, that your arms are open wide. Not because you're still nailed to the cross, but because they're open wide, waiting to receive them. And would they turn from their sins unto you, Jesus, as their Savior? Would they accept that, accept that gift of grace as you went to Jerusalem to die on that cross, to pay the penalty of death for our sins? You tell us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray, Lord, they would turn to you today, accepting that gift of new and eternal life, saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I owe a penalty. But today I'm turning from my sins to you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Thank you for making me a son or a daughter of yours. Father, for the rest of us who have received that gift in the past, would we be those, Lord, who would not let the things in our world draw us away from following you fully lord if there are comforts or cares or concerns about others companions in this life that we love more than you father would they find the right place of priority which is behind you would we put you first lord would you help us to remove any limitations we've placed on you would we hand you a blank check this morning saying, God, it's signed. You fill in what you want me to do. I'm here to serve you. Father, we thank you for the grace we've been given. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. We thank you for the privilege of partnering with you as messengers of the gospel of grace. May you send us out today as messengers to share the good news of who you are and how you love us. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.